Well, good morning. Back back up here with you. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Kyle. I'm the lead pastor of Generation. So welcome you those online uh, and in the room. Uh, we really do want to get to know you and your story. Uh, so this is something that we say each and every week. And I think one of the reasons we're able to have conversations like I had just initiated and, and even trying to do this together and try to help you respond is because we really are trying to get to know each other in such a way that you can have like conversations that sometimes can be, can be prickly, but just have them in a loving way where we say, hey, we want what's best for each other. And rather than beat around the bush, rather than just like don't talk about it or don't say anything, let's just be able to, to address some things and know that we will be stronger together. One of those uh, types of ways that you build relationships with people and you can tell a strong relationship is your ability to like tease each other. You know, I, I think, you know, and kind of, you know, push each other's buttons a little bit. It's interesting, there's this trend going around on TikTok right now uh, about all these, which is dangerous, I know, but uh, is, is all these generalities where it's like, um, you, you take like your job or your role or something like that. And it's like, well, of course we do that. So it's like, oh, we're nurses or, or I'm a parent of three kids. Of course I do this. Of course I call my kids by their wrong names, like little things like that. Or, or, or we're dinks. So of course you, like for, for those of you who are dual income, no kids. Um, that, that, that's, that's for you. Um, or there's, it's just kind of this trend going around where you can make these, these little, you know, I, I'm an Amazon driver or a business owner or, you know, or a video gamer. So of course I do these kinds of things and you can just throw those all out there. And so they're kind of playful generalizations. And now I could escalate this really quick um, here in the room, probably if it's like, for the, especially for the Christians, where we could go, well, we're Christians, of course we fill in the blank. Now, I'm sure some of those could be really, really good descriptions. Some of those may be corny for the Christian subculture. Of course, we watched Adventures in Odyssey or listened to the tapes when growing up for, for those of you who know what that is. And, and that's, if you don't know this, that's, again, like there, there's these subculture things, but also there, there's this generality of like, maybe there's good things, maybe some corny, some subculture, like what in the world is that? Or maybe there's also the potential for negatives. They're Christians. Of course, they fill in the blank. My hope is for us around Generations Church, as followers of Jesus, when we, when we fill in that blank, it's I'm a Christian or I'm a follower of Jesus. Of course, I'm finding new ways to be like Jesus in my life. I'm finding more ways that he is changing me. And this speaks to the maturing of faith. We've been going through the book of Hebrews where this author writes to this group of Christians who are discouraged. They're, they're not quite sure why life is, is showing up in this kind of way. and They're, they're, they're actively following Jesus, but, it, but it's not all, been all roses. It's not been all peaches. It's, it's not been like, yes, everything is sweet, tastes good, and on the up and up. In fact, there's been some difficulty. There's been some discouragement. 
So for them, they've put all their options on the table. And in fact, they're considering going back to the Jewish faith because it was more tactile and more tangible. And while you may not be ever considering maybe going back to the Jewish faith on some level, sometimes for us, when you consider following Jesus and as you follow Jesus, sometimes life before Christ seems more appealing. And the question is, is, is as you engage in this, and for them, as they engage in this, was going back to what was before, is it actually better? And the author's re- resounding claim is that it's not. That Jesus is better, and don't give up. Over the long haul, Jesus is better, and don't give up on following him As we think about this benefits package, what this means for us, the section of maturity is we have the benefit of Christ's example and advocacy so that we can mature, that we can move forward and grow. Maturity is to be a complete human being well-rounded in every aspect of life. And so the reason Jesus is better and don't give up because he helps us become whole. See, in Christ, we have access to that completion. But we oftentimes settle for immaturity because of fear, guilt, or shame. And sometimes we we don't build an adequate foundation. Or we we have a foundation and we never build on that because why would I want to become more mature? Because it's a little more fun existing in immaturity. This imagery is that of construction, to dwell and do life. Something sturdy is laid and needs to be built upon. And so this section as a whole, where the author comes to and and helping these people understand, don't go back, build on this foundation, persevere, go forward, is ultimately pretty tough and comes with a pretty hefty warning. And this morning I'll have to be a bit technical, but... I want us to understand that the foundation, there is a foundation for every Christian believer and what they must have. The author says, transitioning from chapter 5 into chapter 6, he says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. What he says, leaving on the elementary uh, teachings of Christ, he's not talking about like leaving them behind, sweet, I trusted in Christ, let me go on and study more things. But he's talking about, but building on this foundation. If you know nothing at all, or if you know anything at all, the, the foundation is simply to trust and respond to who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And on this foundation, be able to respond. Now, with the the layers of clauses here, this is what the author is getting at. He's saying that that these group do not need to lay again the foundation of repentance and faith, specifically in Christ. What What does that mean? When you assess your life, when you think about the moral stake, when you think about choices between good or evil, Repentance is saying, I'm not going to do life my way by my own thinking, given over to my own will and my own inclinations, but I'm going to turn and turn towards God. 
I'm going to turn away from this and turn toward God and then continuing to respond to that. That is what faith is. So faith is not just ascending to some sort of uh, propositions where I believe this box and so check, I believe this, so check that. But it's an active response in your everyday life where you're turning away from your own thoughts, own desires, own way of viewing the world and turning towards Christ. And he said, this is the, the foundation. Now he gives a series of of what comes out of this foundation of repentance and faith that is built on. They, they, they should already know this, but he's got to kind of remind them. And so let me just pause here and say, if that is new to you, that's okay. Just, as we looked at last week, there's milk and there is meat, and it's okay to be an infant in faith. But know that, that what is that, that milk, what is that entry level? That is responding to Jesus. That there is a God who loves you and wants to hang out with you. And so he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you and be resurrected to, get, to give you hope of eternal life, to, to show you and demonstrate what it means to be a complete human being. And so out of that, he mentions like instructions on baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection and eternal judgment. The author is building a case on the supremacy of Christ and his high priestly role. The great temptation is to place someone else in that role, the Old Testament system or another mediator. The foundation of the gospel in this context, faith in Christ and repentance of sin, meaning you don't need multiple, multiple ritual washings or cleansing. Notice baptisms there, or washings is, is plural. Basically this idea that you don't need regular religious acts to provide assurance in your soul. Some of you wonder, Am I really saved? Am I really loving Jesus? Am I really doing all? And it's this actions based. And so then what happens is you do more to, to provide a level of assurance. And we say, no, no, no. If you turn from your sin and you're actively trusting in Christ and you're growing in that, you don't need to rinse and repeat religious acts to provide that assurance. You simply needed to respond to Jesus once Trust in him, be baptized in him, and trust that that response is what saves you, your, your repentance and your faith in Christ. And then he talks about laying on of hands. He's like, you also don't need some pastor to anoint and confirm you be, being saved. You don't need me to come around and be like, yes, you're saved, yes, you're saved, you're good. Like, here's the reality. It's like, no, it's Christ who saves. It is not, it, it, and it's that act and response to that, that proves your salvation. So he's saying, like, you don't need these rituals. You don't know these rites. You don't need the right person or this repeated act. Certainly there are benefits to reading the Bible, to gathering with other Christians, to, to, to remembering and professing baptism, to, to, to praying each and every day, to intentional mentor. But it's not those acts that will ultimately save. It's Jesus that saves and so if you feel Jesus stir in your heart to say yes to him, don't delay. Amen. Trust that Jesus is better and move forward in that response. And then he also says, sometimes we doubt that, which is why he has to get into these future outcomes. See, the resurrection says that this world is not all that there is. That someday after you die, you will be resurrected, body, soul, and spirit. 
which gives you an eternal perspective. You don't have to make the most of this life right now. And even when you mess up, it's not the end. It's not a, a constant life of, can I tip the scales in my good versus bad behavior? Because that's what he also says is Jesus will bring eternal judgment, which means righteous judgment on evil. Evil will get its due. So you don't have to avenge evil now. And in fact, as we frame up that, trusting in Christ allows us to simply respond and love, knowing that he stands as mediator, not some other person or other figurehead or other individual, nor we have to take matters always into our own hands. Because sometimes, let's be honest, we feel powerless. And we wonder, how do we move forward? When we repent and we trust in Christ, knowing that we don't have to have all these acts and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, it begins to be freedom and live that someone else is gonna help us carry that burden that eternal life, yes, it begins now, but ultimately when more fully and completely will be in the age to come. And so in this context of maturity, these believers should not need to be reminded of these, is what he's saying. And so for us, I don't want to necessarily come down that harsh on you and be like, you should already know this. Because I know in this room and online, we have people of all stages of spiritual life and journey. My hope is that at the end of the day, what you hear repeatedly around Generations Church is that we are a people who is constantly trying to look to Jesus, trust him more, respond to that. And as we do that, allow that love and that life to flow through us. And when we make mistakes, when things don't go as they ought, when there are difficult moments and suffering, and there's even death, that we know that that is not the end. That is not the end of the story. And that shapes how we view everyday life. You know, it's interesting talking about maturity and thinking about helping a kid who's young have the life skills and even the spiritual maturity to grow into adult maturity. You know, I, I think about this often with three kids of my own. How do I help them enjoy being a kid? And then even their adolescence, how do, how do I help them like do a teenager well? because I did not, teenager, not well. Um, but intentionally, not just letting them delay in that, but really move beyond it. You know, at every stage, there's a stage for something. You know, being a child, being a teenager, but then moving into adult. How do I help them do that well? As I've thought about this in my own life, and I share that burden for my children, I stumbled across a book called Intentional Fatherhood by John Tyson, and another one called Trophy Child. And they both reference, interesting by different authors, reference this book um, called Adam's Return by Richard Rohr. And let me quote what they, what they quote from him. They say, Rohr writes about five rules for manhood. So, so again, this intentional fatherhood talking about raising boys to become men, but we'll, we'll widen the circle here in a moment. He says, Rohr writes about five rules of manhood, five definitive things that have been poured into men in almost every other culture to help shape them and form them away from childish ways. These rules are, life is hard, you are not important, your life is not about you, you are not in control, and you're going to die. The author continues, sounds like wonderful news, right? 
Stick with me. These rules are all true no matter how hard they might sound. And almost all cultures have had ways of helping men understand these rules. Except for modern culture. What does our culture tell us? Life should be easy. You're important. Your life is about you. You should try to control everything and you can live forever. Now I'm going to end the book quote. And so while they are speaking about men in this context... I think some of these can certainly be applied to women as well. With the foundation of Christ taking these principles, I think there is at least five shifts that manifest. To help someone go, be a kid well, but then maturity. That when you frame that in the relationship of who Jesus is and what he has done, if we can make these shifts, if we can talk about these shifts, and in some ways, as I say them, and as they're on the screen, we'll be hearing them behind me, you'll also know how they're expressed in our values. They are. It's a shift from ease to difficulty. It's a shift from self to others. See, a child cares about themselves, but adults care about others, specifically Christian ones. It's another shift that says that that you are part of the story, but you're not the whole story. A shift away from life is all about you. See, when you're a child and you're an infant, life has to be about you in order to survive to get the nourishment you need, to get the care you need. So there's nothing wrong with that for a season. But over time, that has to transition from when you are always receiving to where you are then giving. And you are not just absorbing all the love that you receive, but you're able to replicate that and pass that on. So you're part of the story, but you're not the whole story. It's a shift from control to surrender. And it's a shift from the temporary to the eternal. So when we live life with the end in mind, knowing that Jesus will will be the judge and jury, but also our advocate, there's a lot less pressure to have to control or do things for ourselves. But we can simply respond to him. And I think you can make these shifts And to do this, I think, well, you've got to be centered intellectually, emotionally on Christ. You've got to be able to know your triggers that pull you back into a way that says, I think ease is better. Or I think life is always and only about me. Or I think I have to control because we all have triggers that drive us back to grasp these things. And the foundation of Christ is that he is in control, that he saves, that he loves, and he pursues, and he wants to renew. And because he is good and great, that we don't have to manufacture things. So we got to become aware of our triggers that want to help us believe the lies that pull us back away from the truths of Christ. That ultimately, I think, make us more sacrificial more generous with our time, talents, and treasure, willing to get our heads up out of our own phones and look at the eyes of people, to see them and hear their story, to go beyond the, how are you doing today? Good, good, double thumbs up, but say like, no, like, how are you doing? And not in a way that, that's badgering or, or pestering or, or that's even like, well, Kyle told me to ask how you're doing really, like after I said how you're doing. <laughs> but like, when, to, to build a sense of stability on Christ that you can actually handle the emotional 
sometimes instability of others, and you not be shaken because you're not defined by their response or how they react to you. You don't need life to be perfect out there because you're growing in centeredness here because you are a child of God and you are loved by him and you have an advocate in front of the Father. And what's crazy is this author, he says, starts to go in this way of like, what if these shifts never occur? Beginning with the effective work of the word of God, moving into an empathetic advocate that we have in Jesus as mediator between us and God, to a plea for maturity, the author introduces a warning. This warning comes in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. He says this, For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, became companions with the Holy Spirit, tasted God's good work, the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away because of their own harm. And they are recrucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. And what a graphic picture and warning. I think sometimes as we think about this of like falling away, the question goes, well, then can I lose my salvation? The quick and simple answer, which I really don't like quick and simple answers, is no. Scripture seems to indicate time and time again that what is truly regenerated will reach consummation. Healthy things grow. A lemon, a grape vine will produce grapes. A person who is attached to Christ will produce the character and priorities of Christ eventually over time. See, what it's indicating here is that those who have tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age who have fallen away, what it's saying is tasted or know intellectually. They, they've been enlightened or they've been the beneficiary of, but their affections haven't changed. This is what's so dangerous about sometimes church and the way that we express it that I'm painfully aware of. You can be around Jesus. You can hear us talk about Jesus. You can even sing songs about Jesus. You can know when to sit and when to stand, what to say when someone greets you. You know, the better than I deserve or always blessed hashtag, you know, kind of thing. can be the beneficiary of someone's loving kindness towards you. Be like, man, I think highly of the church. I think highly of Christ. But not actually be saved. You can like Jesus, like the church, even consider yourself spiritual. You can attend church. You can consider yourself a Christian and not actually be converted. And this is non-discriminatory. This can be pastors, pastors' wives, can be elders, can be long-standing church members. You can see the Holy Spirit move, yet be unmoved by the Holy Spirit. And the answer is why. Why can we kind of be around this, know about it, want it to be true, maybe not quite live like it's true in every area of life? The warning is here. It's hard for these individuals to repent because they don't think they need to. Because when you're around it, you start to sometimes believe you're something that you're not. 
And that's what's so hard about our contemporary model of church that sometimes grieves my heart. Our current age makes it much more susceptible to the reality of where you can attend a church service or do service, yet have a compartmentalized life so you can do religious acts or even culturally good works and never be actually adopted into God's family. Never put on that jersey and say, I'm team Jesus. And know that it's actually not just simply that you that's chosen him, but he has chosen you. And believe in that and respond to that. That we can, we can work to earn, we can pretend, we can appear, we can say the right things for a time. But the works are genuinely dead unless they're an outcome from being attached to Jesus. And this is this foundation that he wants them to know. Everything extra out of response-wise has to come first with a foundation of, I can't do life on my own. By my own strength, on my own power. I need Jesus. And respond to that each and every day. And so some of you, online in the room, my plea is that you do not simply exist around generations receiving some of the benefits of friendship and community and sports and Charles's energetic leading in worship that makes you feel good. Or maybe it's like, Kyle, you say a good word occasionally, so I feel better. I, like, I just... That you truly know that you're adopted and loved and you believe that and respond to that some of the ways that we try to live our vision and values and philosophy of ministry is an attempt to steer us away from formational habits where church is reduced to an exchange of religious goods and services to make you feel better about yourself and not simply make you feel better, but actually be attached to Jesus so that you can become whole. See, when there is a true connection with God and an integrated life with others, you will be compelled to repent and live by faith. There will be increasing love in your heart for God and others. And when you enjoy the benefits of Christ, but do not truly belong to him, it's like you're in this crowd at his crucifixion, re-crucifying him is what the author says. And he's warning them. You cannot say you're part of a tree and nothing ever grow. You can't say you're a Christian and no one ever see self-control or patience or gentleness or perseverance. I know too many Christians who say that their, their job is hard, so they're, they're out. I know too many Christians who say, I can't, can't ever put down their phones and look at someone in the eye to develop some compassion and empathy. I know too many Christians who never smile. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. We are allowed to smile and enjoy the good gifts. I know too many Christians who are proud to be the same person they were before they met Christ and feel better about themselves because they've added some Jesus sprinkles to the top. You may be thinking, well, Kyle, I didn't think I was supposed to judge or evaluate other people's character or priorities. And it's like, no, that's not actually true. You're supposed to judge rightly by their fruit. And you better look at yourself before you make that judgment of someone else. See, building in last week, we're supposed to discern good from evil. That's exercising and practicing judgment. This is a form of judgment using Christ's character yet and his priorities as a God. But in doing so, that doesn't mean being judgmental because there's only one who sits on the throne and that is Jesus. 
And what's amazing is that we can approach that throne with boldness and courage. And we want to be people who don't stand as barriers to the approaching of that throne, but as bridges. To say, come with me. Experience the mercy and goodness of God. You don't have to do life by your own, by your own strength. If the fruit in your life that is being produced is unhealthy and toxic and destructive, come back to the throne, run to the throne and get reattached. Trust and respond. Repent and then receive. See, because when we fail, we can approach that throne and find mercy and grace to help us at the proper time. Even when we fail, we can approach the throne. And I don't really like, I'm going to end pretty abruptly here. I don't really like ending in such a way where it feels like I'm talking at you or down to you. At least that's when I'm standing up here talking about this, it, it feels that way. And maybe that's a, that's a product of me or my, my, my own insecurity or this, this moment. I just, I just don't want us to get so comfortable and complacent consuming, receiving the blessings of Christ without belonging to Christ. Because ultimately, the best benefit of belonging to Christ is believing Christ and watching your behaviors change. To be agents of healing and restoration in the world. To build good businesses that do good work to be good bosses and good employees, to be good parents, not because good is defined by anything other than Christ's character and priorities expressed in you in your every day. See, in this section on maturity, the author introduces the idea that those who, ever, who only ever consume won't be saved in the end because they will not mature. The fruit of their life never go away from receiving. They, they always go from they need to go from receiving to generosity, from experiencing the benefits to contributing. And so while there is time to lay a foundation, there's also time and a need to build on that foundation. And once that foundation is laid, it's time to make that shift, to be people who aren't scared of maturity, who don't make fun of maturity, but who desire it. Because it means build, building a better world with God for others. And that's the agents that we're supposed to be in this world. And church, I hope we do that well and we continue to do that. So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing and respond one last time. And I hope that as you respond and as you sing and as we close... that you decide or consider what shift you need to make. So let me pray for us. God, you are good. And I say that because you moved towards us. You demonstrated love. You demonstrated sacrifice for us. And you've given us a hope that evil will have its due, that justice will be done, 
that it's possible to live in love even during the suffering of these moments, God, that you give us an example, that you sympathize with our weaknesses and you don't leave us or abandon us. You don't, God, I thank you for the adoption into your family. God, help us to be grateful and respond to that. Lord, sometimes we don't know exactly what to say or how to respond. Would you just help us to say yes, Lord? Lead, guide, direct, create in me a a clean heart. Help me to lean on your understanding and demonstrate that to myself and to the world around me. Thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.